0: Rock Podcast, talking all things
1: Disney with your hosts L John Go and Dave Bossert.
2: Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast. Yes, and happy post-Easter to you. I hope you found a lot of Easter eggs. The Easter bunny was kind to you. And every week we talk all things Disney pop culture and so much more behind the scenes of your favorite movies animators imagineers theme park attractions performances books man we run the gambit here on the show and i'm your co-host John go longtime marvel disney and star wars fan also musician podcaster we wear a lot of hats here you can email me John a-l-j-o-n at skullrockpodcast.com
0: And I'm your other co-host, Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wow. And you can also email me at Dave at Podcast.com. Al John, yes, we're it's springtime. The weather has really turned out here in Los Angeles. I mean, we've had a a little run of 80 degree weather. I've been in the backyard doing some gardening, planting flowers. Mm. Uh, I'm hoping that the rain and the bad weather has passed you by at this
2: point. I I hope so. Uh, We're experiencing the same. And we have got sun, and it's been great to go for a walk outside. Took the kids, and you're you're gonna you're gonna love this. Took the kids for their very first Easter egg hunt here in the neighborhood. Wow, yeah. that must have been fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, I think I think it, we call our kids Boo and Jack Jack. You know, that's their <laughs> Boo and Jack Jack. So Boo was out there, and she was just amazed at all the people because you know we've been we've been sheltering in place here. We very seldom go out over the last few weeks since Kristen and I had gotten our vaccinations and we're, we're getting our booster here in a couple of weeks, but we actually took the kids out, put them in the grocery, you know, grocery cart. We're going to the grocery store and they're like, oh my gosh, what is all this? And saying hi to people. So they make friends wherever they go. And of course they were making friends there. In the little uh, little play yard there, out in our neighborhood, and uh, the, by the jungle gym and the little swings and everything, so there was all kinds of kids, and and um, I think she was more interested in saying hi and making friends than hunting for Easter eggs, which is which is completely fine <laughs> and, and he, understandable too. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, oh, they're they're kids my age, they're little people out here, so that was really a treat. I'll have to send you some photos, but um, yeah, they were they were great.
0: That's awesome. You know, I'll tell you, it's it, it, it's so magical to have small children and take them like either Halloween trick-or-treating or Easter egg hunts or, you know, any of those kinds of things that are, uh, you know, around holidays. It, it, it's just so great to see that innocence, isn't it?
2: It is. It is. And the, just the wonder in their eyes and the excitement when they, you know, find an egg or anything like that. But this is this comes to my next point, Dave. As the world starts opening up, Kristen and I are talking about bringing the kids to Disney for their very first Disney trip. Wow, yeah. that's exciting. Uh, and you know it is. the the parks are all reopening. I mean,
0: we talked about this last week. Um uh Disneyland is reopening April 30th. Obviously, Disney World has been open for some time, uh-huh. but uh SeaWorld in San Antonio, they they're, they're going to have their uh food fest returning uh and you've got Universal Studios reopening April 16th.
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm I'm excited to maybe at some point soon bring the kiddos out to see you over there in, in, in the left coast. But I tell you what, you, you alluded to a lot of our headlines. So let's go ahead and jump right into the news. Yeah.
1: Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast Headline News.
0: And Al John, yes. I gotta te- I gotta tell you something. Yes, sir. And this isn't this, this sort of missed our list here, and I think it was because it just came through this morning. Okay. But uh, uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh-huh. had a monster opening weekend. Yay. So that, <laughs> that in and of itself tells me that people are itching to get back into the movie theaters. And, you know, there was more than 3,000 theaters reopened in the United States. Yeah. And uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh, did almost $50 million opening weekend, the best box office opening weekend since the pandemic
2: began. You know what? That is wonderful news. And by all accounts, people are ready to get back into it they've been vaccinated they you know those are the people that are out there and still i we encourage everyone to get the vaccination and go out there and uh, just get back to normal and supporting these local theaters and these people and and the studios um and the all of these people that you know there's so many tens of thousands of people that that are employed um, in the entertainment industry, music and, and food service and entertainment and uh, and these theaters and the theater owners and there's so many people there that that need help and what a great way and this I, I I'm encouraged by it and I look forward to seeing the the movie business just blossom hopefully faster and sooner than later. Well, if this is if this is any indication, I mean the worldwide gross.
0: Uh, over the last week for uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh, is like 285 million. It's fast approaching 300 million globally in in a week, and yeah. uh, that that's just fantastic. And that speaks volumes to the fact that people are going to go back to the movie theaters, and that's where you need to see these big effects extravaganzas, uh, you know. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Black Widow in the Yay, theater.
2: Me too, and. Uh, We are too. And I think what we're going to do is since now we have the little ones, we want to try to go out and see Black Widow and do a double feature there at the drive in theater. So we're going to drive all the way, you know, across several towns and go to the drive through with the little ones. We're going to have a little picnic and we want to watch Black Widow. Yeah, we definitely want to watch Mortal Kombat when it comes out. I mean, it's going to be really, really fun and all that stuff on HBO Max and Disney Plus and Paramount Plus and every plus that's out there. So.
0: Yeah, and the the weather is certain certainly starting to uh, cooperate.
2: Yeah. Uh I I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So I can't wait. It's really nice to get out, breathe some fresh air and and feel the sun on your face. It's the little things that you have to that's enjoy right. in life. That's right. And, well, speaking Absolutely. of little things, Dave, and this 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 is a really neat thing for us because we love food and we love the parks. And SeaWorld San Antonio, Seven Seas Food Fest returns with globally inspired eats and sips. I love I love this because I, I know that you have a touch of Disney going on at Disneyland right now. And it's nice that these things are slowly opening up and, and giving uh, people an opportunity to sample some really great food and wine.
0: Yeah. And I, I love the fact that the theme parks are doing these types of events. I I think they're, they're really great. They draw a lot of people in and they're just fun. Uh, it's, it's great to be able to, you know, when you go down to the, uh, the, the, the food and, uh, food and wine festival, food and art, art festival, what do they call it? The festival of the the Arts. arts. Yes. The thank you. Festival of the Arts. I've been to it numerous times. <laughs> the Farts.
2: The Farts Festival.
0: <laughs> there you go. The Farts Festival. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just absolutely love it because you just get to wander and sample stuff and uh, and just be outside and enjoy yourselves. And I think so many
2: people are looking forward to that coming back. Absolutely. And I understand that Eat to the Beat concert series at Epcot will be returning back for food and wine uh, this year. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think the other theme parks understand, you know, um, you know, Knott's Berry and, and Six Flags, all these parks understand that it's really cool to have these food and wine events where people can sip and stroll and eat and snack around these little areas and go on theme park attractions and just relax and have fun. Uh, at the theme park. So I'm glad that they're kind of adopting this thing and, and giving these new culinary experiences to these people, the fans. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, speaking of Universal, Dave, you've sent me this as well. You know, Universal Studios is reopening April 16th. So we're just a few weeks away. I can't mm-hmm. believe it. So with that, and yeah. of course, Disneyland reopening on the 30th, you know, tickets are on sale right now. So um, I, I, I'm looking forward to that. When was the last time you went to Universal, Dave?
0: Oh, my gosh. It's got to be a couple of years now. Um, And I've I got to tell you, the last time I actually went through the theme park is probably a half dozen, eight years ago. I've gone up there a couple of times because, you know, they have uh, movie theaters and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I've seen some films there. They also have the Universal Amphitheater, which, uh, you know, they they've done a number of concerts, a lot of concerts. But I've been to
2: a number of concerts there. So I have to ask you real quick. Have you ever been tapped by Universal to do anything for them? Because uh, I don't think we've ever discussed that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know something uh when i left disney universal re- did reach out to me about a project uh, but they wanted to have me relocate to florida oh. i didn't want to i didn't really want to do that and okay. also it, it, you know the sort of been there done that type of uh, feeling uh washed over me when <laughs> when they reached out so <laughs> know you know hey listen there's plenty of people out there to to do some of those uh, gigs, uh,
2: but but that particular one just wasn't for me. I get it, I get it, and there are a lot of um, you know people involved with the theme parks and, and Disney that have gone back and forth over time and worked for Warner Brothers too. Oh, absolutely! Um, you know, which, by the way, uh, did you see the Bancroft brothers? Uh, I think to, uh, either tony i think may have posted something about um space jam which was great on his instagram yes. which was yeah so
0: i did see that where he, where he had bugs bunny uh dunking a ball uh, <laughs> in a hoop and and uh mickey down on the floor behind him. <laughs> it was hilarious <laughs> i thought that well, was great that was great
2: too well i tell you something that's been happening throughout all of fandom is you know what's going on with justice league and star wars and uh you you we, we've talked about this over time but it seems like there has been a bunch of fans that you know really wanted to get the snyder cut released and it it seemingly worked i would think that this is really a fan motivated project but uh, i know that dc's kind of put the kibosh on on some of it but there's a there's even more to this can can you expand on this a little bit
0: you know I, I think this is all touching on the uh the toxic fandom as they're calling it mm-hmm. um uh, that that's you know it seems to proliferate uh, throughout uh you know social media as well. you know it's all it's all on social media I, I mean it it's this negative vibe and nasty name calling and and all kinds of toxic messages that i, I just think are are, are just a, a an energy source. I I don't pay much attention to it.
2: Mm-hmm. I live I I live out there. Um, you know, on YouTube, I'm I'm watching videos and reviews all the time of what people are saying, and I just don't understand why can't people just. Well, I do understand. I do understand. Uh, when you when you have passion for for a franchise or whatever, um that that's why they're called fans you know it's you're 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 a huge fan you're a fanatic sometimes and you love these franchises you've paid hard-earned money and 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 everything uh to support these franchises and comic books and different things over the years and you know all kinds of collectibles but it seems to me like and i'm coming from this from a long-time fan of everything that we talk about here on this show pop culture you like what you like and if you don't like it you vote with your wallet and if you want to continue to support people, that's fine. I I just hope that, that people can just accept things and, and like what they like and and appreciate other people for liking what they like. And if the studios make a decision that you don't agree with or people or actors make things, say something that you don't agree with, that's okay. We can agree to disagree, but you, know, you don't have to like it, and that's fine. Um, you don't have to attack your fellow fans about it because everybody's different, you know? <laughs>
0: Listen, I, I absolutely agree on that. And, you know, there there's a lack of decorum on social media. And, and, and honestly, a lot of that kind of negativity and nastiness is going to come back and bite those people down the line. Yeah. Um, you know, so many people. Uh, employers are now checking people's social media channels uh, to see what they're putting up. Uh, And there's been story after story of people not getting jobs because of what they've done on their social media channels. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think that people need to think about uh, for a moment, what they're writing, what they're saying, it's fine to have different opinions, but have decorum, have, you know, be, be decent about it. You know, say you disagree and why you disagree. Don't, you know, flog the person that you're disagreeing with and, and beat them with, you know, uh, profanities and nastiness. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think studios should also learn that the fans, the fans, all fans, are you know support support what they're they're putting out, and that they they need to make sure that the fans, the people, are very important. You know, I think all fans are important. Al, John, um, the fans matter. The fans matter. Fans matter. The fans
0: matter, and the yep. studios have
2: to be respectful to the fans. yep they they certainly do, and um, you know, this is what keeps those properties, those intellectual properties, those those uh, tentpole franchises uh deeply deeply popular and in place um and in 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 uh, position to continually have sequels you know so anyway i think that's really that's really the crux of it um you know but uh fans are fans you know respect the fan and uh, respect the fans but the fans need to respect the creators as well Uh, absolutely it goes both ways yeah it goes both ways yeah um, I love this uh, Disney launches 20th century television animation divi- uh, division under Marcy um, Marcy Procetto? did I said that right?
0: Percetto? You know, I think so. Uh, yeah, I you know this was interesting because essentially this is uh this is uh Disney creating a animation division that will deal with adult oriented animation, you know like the the Bojack Horseman
2: and you know Bob's Burgers and those types of shows. I love that. First of all, can I tell you we were just talking about how much I um Kristen and I love Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, and, he's great. Um, you know, so I love the fact that you know Family Guy and American Dad are going to continue to to be created. Obviously, The Simpsons. Um, you know, Bob's burger, super fun. And I know that they had a, at one point a Deadpool um, animated mm-hmm. series that was adult oriented that they might be able to to bring back. But uh, you know, that's great. And I knew it was just a matter of time uh, before they did that and and figured thing things out. So I'm glad to hear it
0: yeah so am i i mean uh, why not and and it made sense for them to obviously call it 20th television animation uh because uh you you know again they've got so many brands under the disney umbrella they do have to
2: differentiate uh uh uh, so that they're not uh tarnishing the disney name exactly it's a great place for it just like the rest of the the 20th century studios content you know um, yeah the r-rated absolutely. films etc but mm-hmm. uh, i just can't wait for them to open the floodgates and give us more of the content so uh so i don't have to have a million of these apps <laughs> i just want yeah. everything open <laughs> i just absolutely. want I just have disney have it um okay and i think one of the other things uh, is we both agree knives out was fun right Knives Out was I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was a
0: great ensemble cast. Uh, again, I'm a big fan of Daniel Craig. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it was really great to see him in something other than a Bond movie. No and, uh, yeah. and you know, to me, he's not typecast. Yeah. He is not typecast at all.
2: Yeah. I, I like Knives Out too. And uh, yeah, believe it or not, gang, even for a Star Wars fan, this I do like about Ryan Johnson, right? So uh, maybe not Last Jedi, but definitely Knives Out. And I, I really liked all the characters there. And it looks like Netflix opened up their wallet to a number of 450 million and doing a trilogy is that right they're doing a lot of movies yeah. with out. so i think
0: i think it's fantastic i think it's a great franchise i love daniel craig's character in that film
2: yep. and uh i i'm looking forward to seeing what the sequel is going to be yeah me too i think that's going to be really exciting well i tell you dave um we have an awesome guest Uh, We do.
0: We do. It's uh, Imagineer Ethan Reed. He's in the green room, uh, itching to come on the show here. And I think we should get to him.
2: Let's do it
1: Skull Rock Podcast interview time.
0: Oh, Al John. So I am so thrilled to have uh, an old friend, an old colleague, uh, Imagineer Ethan Reed, who uh, is a fellow Cal Artian. He went to Cal Arts and uh, spent more than 20 years at Walt Disney Imagineering. And as everybody knows, by the way, whether you're at Imagineering or you've left Imagineering, you are still an Imagineer. Uh, that is, uh, there's there's no taking that away from anybody. And I had the pleasure of working with uh, Ethan on uh, the uh, Seven Dwarves Mine Train down in Orlando, as well as uh, Shanghai, uh, The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Undersea Adventure, at California Adventure. Uh, but he's also worked on Mystic Manor, Camp Woodchuck, Mini Style Studio, Monsters, Inc., ride and go seek uh enchanted tales of beauty and the beast i mean just so many finding nemo's submarine voyage uh it just it goes on and on but more importantly i want people to understand first welcome ethan reed to the show (laughs) welcome Hey, thanks, guys. It's so nice to be here. Yes, yeah, sir. it's great having you on, Ethan. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you right out of the gate was, you know, how how did you get into uh, Imagineering? And uh, and and certainly you were at Cal Arts, and were you studying animation at Cal Arts And did you always think you were going to go into animation, or did you have your sights set on Imagineering?
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's like, you know, the, the story goes way back for me. Uh, you know, my, my, it, it actually starts with my parents. My parents were, you know, baby boomers. Uh, they grew up watching the Mickey Mouse Club. Their, uh, their honeymoon was to Disneyland. My dad grew up in the Bronx in New York, and he got to go to the World's Fair, you know, all that stuff. He loved that. Great memories. He also, you know, used to tell me stories about Freedom Land, which was in the Bronx. And, um, you know, my mom grew up in San Francisco Bay Area. They met, and they were, you know, both grew up watching Mickey Mouse Club, things like that. So they were huge Disney fans. And so, as a kid, we had Disney magazine or Disney News, uh, which was like in the house, and I would read that, like, you know, every month when it came out. And there was always a piece of art in there, and it was always inspiring. But yeah, you know, for me, I think animation was what got me interested first, but. It goes back to the 1984 Academy Awards, I was in elementary school, and uh, Clarence Nash got a uh, special Academy Award for being the voice of Donald Duck. And he goes out there on stage, and I was pretty young still. And, you know, in my mind, you know, I still thought cartoon characters were real. And here's this, you know, (laughs) kindly you know old gentleman up there on stage with the walk around character of Donald Duck and you know he accepts this Academy Award but he does it as Donald Duck and my mind was blown I'm like whoa (laughs) a guy does this for a living that's amazing and I kid you not I sat there on the floor in my parents like living room watching this guy talking like Donald Duck I'm like and I just started mimicking him. So I just started like going, rat, 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 rat. just started doing that. And, you know, and then of course I'm in elementary school. So I started talking like Donald Duck and, you know, class clown, just had fun with it. And I think I was about in the fifth grade or so. And my, my dad, you know, I was, you know, my, my, my schoolwork wasn't going so well. Dad, had to have a sit-down talk with me, you know, get me back on the you know the straight path. And you know, he's like, Well, you know, Ethan, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, Well, no. I want to be the Dad. Right. So that's what I said. And he's like, you know, that that that's great, Ethan. You know, uh, there's been like, you know, two people have done this, Clarence Nash and Tony Anselmo. So there had just been an article written about Tony Anselmo, the new voice of Donald Duck, right? That was in Disney News. And uh, I had read it and, you know, and my dad had read it. And, it's, and, you know, my dad said, well, you know, the guy who's the voice of Donald Duck, he has something to fall back on. He's not just the voice of Donald Duck. Like, and I said, well, what is he? And, you know, my dad said, well, he's an animator. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. So I just started drawing and uh, I I think I might've told Tony the story once when I bumped into him. (laughs) We
0: we, we had Tony on uh, a a number of months ago on on the show and he's such a great interview and and a great guy. Yeah. So it was just, you know,
1: it was, it was, it was really cool that, um, you know, I I told, I think I told Tony the story once, Uh, but it was so, yeah. So that was what got me really, interested is you know being wanting to be the voice of Donald Duck, right? And uh, you know, I never did it, you know, professionally. George Scribner, uh, who I think you guys have also had on, yeah, had me re- record scratch track for Mickey's Front Fill Her Magic and for the uh the Mexico Boat Ride with the Three Caballeros. Um so I think, you know, Alec, uh, George, you know, George's brother, George and myself, we did the uh scratch track for uh, you know, the, the three caballeros, which was super fun. Um, but you know, so for me, I got into animation. And my parents, being the Disney fans they were, they had a signed copy of The Illusion of Life, right? Frank Molly signed, and it was like, you know, the nice hardback one you know one that had was in the sleeve, had the film strip in it and you know so it's like kind of put on the white gloves to you know read it and you know it's like i you know yeah i just loved reading that book and just got totally into animation and mark davis became my my hero and there was a section at the back of the book you know it's like the new frontiers of animation and then there was one on audio electronics and you know i just wanted to take in as much of disney stuff as i could we loved going to disneyland as you know kids uh, you know, we, we lived up in the Bay area. We'd probably come down like once a year, uh, uh Martin Luther King day. And, uh, we would just enjoy the park and, uh, you know, a nice, nice three day weekend. And, uh, so I just had my sights set on CalArts and, um, you know, I did not start out at CalArts initially, uh, CalArts was, it was so funny. I, you know, I graduated in 1994 and, you know there was you know that string of you know the, the, the second golden age happened right. You had Little Mermaid, you had Aladdin, and then Lion King, and you know people really wanted to get into animation. So Cal Arts was just like I remember hearing at one point the odds of getting into character animation at Cal Arts uh, was more difficult than getting into like Harvard Law or something. At one point in
0: the nineties, right? I, th- I think it might have been true because they only they only accepted thirty people, and I, they still do only accept thirty people per class, right? And and, and back in the in the seventies and eighties, there really weren't that many choices for. Uh, you know, taking an animation program at a, at a university or an art school or something. You know, not not like today. Seems right. like it seems like every every school has an animation degree.
1: Well, it's so funny because uh, you know Glenn Vilpu, who was uh, you know he worked on Black Cauldron, Fox and the Hound, he was a layout artist. Uh, he he was in charge of the counter Arts character animation program at the time, and I remember sitting down with him, him going over my portfolio, and he said, "Ethan, just keep drawing." And he suggested that I go to another school, get my prerequisites out of the way and just keep getting, building up my portfolio. And I took Glenn's advice and I went to San Francisco State University, which was fantastic. And they just so happened to have an animation program, which was started by, uh, I think, David Hand, who was one of the uh, yeah. the animators on, directors on Bambi. Sure, yeah. And um, so that was a really great place to be because 1994, Half of my friends were interning at Skellington Productions, working on *James and the Giant Peach*. *Nightmare Before Christmas* had just wrapped, mm-hmm. and um, the other half of my friends were working at this little studio called Pixar. And mm-hmm. I would head over there. Uh, you know, some of my friends were render wranglers, and I would just head over there and sketch and you know just hang out at the old Point Richmond Pixar studio.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that was before the uh, uh, the campus was built. Yeah the Pixar campus, they were, they were in sort of an industrial center, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah they, I
1: mean, that's, a, that is one thing that I have learned. It's like, you know, when artists are in, uh, you know, not the best, like, you know, buildings and things like that, I think they create better artwork. Like I really yeah, do.
0: You know, listen, I, I wouldn't disagree. You know, when we got thrown off the uh, Burbank studio lot after, uh, Black Cauldron, uh, we we were put in a, a one-story warehouse building across the street from Imagineering in Glendale. And look what came out of that building, you know. Exactly. The, it was, you know, a Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, um, you know, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Oliver and Company, um, Aladdin, uh, Lion King. All of those came out of these dumpy little warehouse buildings that we were all stuffed in. Uh, And then uh, I think uh, we became victims of our own success once we moved into the big, uh, what they refer to as the hat building with the Sorcerer's Apprentice hat on it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful building. Oh, it is. It it, it is a nice building. But, you know, again, uh, you know, when when you're uh, out from under the microscope over in a warehouse, you know, creating these films, uh, there there's a there's a certain amount of, you know, not to be cliche, but there's a little bit of magic that's happening uh, when you're not under the microscope. Yep, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, for so for me, it's like when I was at San Francisco State, I you know, I did computer animation, I did stop motion animation, I did pixelation, which is, you know, like you 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 do stop motion with your body, right? It's like yeah. stuff they used to have on Sesame Street in the 70s, right? Sure. Um, and yeah, it's like so I was at San Francisco State, I was able to do more than just 2D animation, which is what I really wanted to do, right? Yeah. And I did do that, but being exposed to these different forms of animation at an early age, I think, prepared me for, you know, the weird thing, you know, at Imagineering, which was audio animatronics. Uh, and I took sculpture classes and things like that. And then you know, I got accepted into Cal Arts. I loved it. Um, and, uh, and it's so funny. It's like because I'd done my two years, you know, at San Francisco State, you know, getting prerequisites and stuff out of the way. You know, when I went to CalArts, I treated it as a job. And I've, I've had this discussion with, you know, different heads of the department at CalArts character animation over the years. It's like some people go into the program and it's like, oh, I'm out of high school. It's party time. Right. I did not do that. I treated it like a job. It's like I got in there eight o'clock in the morning. I would go to my life drawing classes. I'd go to the lectures. I would stay till, you know, 10, you know. 11 o'clock at night, go back to my apartment and then work on my, um, you know, film some more, but it was, I was very regimented and very uh, serious about it. So,
0: yeah, you know, it's interesting. You said a couple of interesting things here. Um, first off, I, I mean, you know, the prerequisites, you know, the life drawing and perspective classes and things like that. To me, I often tell people, you know, go to, go to a great community college, like, you know, uh, Santa Monica Community College has a great art program. And yep. there's so many of them around the country. Go there and and do your prerequisites. You'll save a bundle of dough. Mm-hmm. And then and then once those are out of the way, transfer to a program like the Character Animation Program at CalArts. Yeah, uh, and and CalArts is the kind of school that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And, and that's what, you know, a lot of people have to realize, you know, you're paying a lot of money to go to a school like Cal arts. You want to get as much out of that as possible. And you're only going to do that by what you put into it. And, Absolutely. and, and it's so true. It's not, it's not about showing up and saying, Hey, it's party time. I've, I've moved away from mom and dad. It's time exactly. to party. It's really, it's time to work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, it's funny. It's like when I got accepted, you know, I was so happy. Yeah, I was over the moon when I got accepted to Cal arts. In fact, I was, my part-time job when I was in San Francisco state was uh, working at the Disney gallery in downtown San Francisco. And uh, so I was a Disney store cast member. In fact, that's where I met my wife. We were both uh, Disney store cast members. Wow. And uh, so we're very Disney family. Um, And it was interesting because I mean, I got to meet Ivan Earl, Ivan Earl would come in for signings, you know uh, you know, Tom Bancroft would come in and it's like, he had his like Beauty and the Beast crew jacket on and I would just chat with <laughs> him. I remember having a very long conversation with Ed Cotmo like in the gallery, he was like looking at artwork on the wall and you know, it's like part of a Disney store cast member at the time. It's like you engage with the guests and you would sure. chat with them to talk to them about the artwork and stuff. And yeah, I remember talking to this guy and he had this basket full of toy story mugs. And we didn't have much Toy Story merchandise. It was like one of the first things we got in, but his basket was full. I'm like, did you happen to work on Toy Story? He's like, oh, I I, I run Pixar. I'm like, doesn't John Lasseter do that? It's like, well, I'm John's boss. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but he's super nice, down-to-earth guy, uh, great conversation with him. And I told him I'd be going to CalArts. He's like, oh, my son's going to be going there as well. So uh, yeah, I went to uh, school with Ed's son, which was fun. But, awesome. Uh,
0: yeah. So, so from there, you know, you, uh, you go to Cal Arts. you, you finish the program and, uh, or did you, I, I, I always have to, I always have to qualify that because so many people have been pinched out of the program before they actually finish.
1: You know, it's funny because the first week, I think it was like the first month I was at Cal Arts, there was a Disney day and All of the recruiters from the different wings of Disney came and they were set up in the main uh, gallery there. Um, And, you know, like they were handing out brochures and stuff. So there was feature animation, TV animation, and uh, Imagineering was there. And, you know, I got the Imagineering postcard and had the beautiful Tom Moore's artwork of the, uh, you know, the castle, you know, Sleeping Beauty Castle. I'm like, oh, this is great. uh, a couple of my friends uh, at Cal Arts, they had actually, you know, through the Ryman Arts program, had interned uh, at, at Imagineering. And, you know, I, you know, read the books and, you know, Mark Davis was my idol. The way I thought it was going to work for me is I thought I'd, you know, get a job and clean up animation or something at the studio work my way up, maybe become an animator, like in my forties. Right. And then <laughs> I thought before I retired, like maybe my, my late fifties, right. Maybe I'd be good enough to get into WDI. Like that was that in my brain, that is how it was going to go. And, you know, so I got this little Imagineering postcard and then, you know, was it the, uh, we had, Yeah, so they, they gave us all this stuff and then it was like at the end of the year, there, they disney day happened again you put your portfolio out and i put my portfolio out i was put on the callback list for feature animation and it, i think it was because i actually had some cg experience at the time uh you know cal character animation was really not teaching any computer animation right, right. now but yeah. back then uh there was very few of us who had any experience with it and um I think dinosaur was going into production. They needed an animators for Dinosaur, So I, I was like one of four people put on this callback list for dinosaur. And then um, there was a callback list for imagineering. And I looked at it and it's like, Oh, I'm not on the list for imagineering. Oh, that's sad. Cause I really just wanted an internship. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it
1: was my first year at Cal arts and I, uh, was walking through the gallery and they were there was a video that had a video cart right you didn't have ipads and things back then sure. and someone was playing um video footage of uh, sir from uh, alien encounter which was a is an a100 figure sure. and beautifully animated and you know, i just remember watching them like that's amazing and um oh, You know, it was pretty cool. So I I talked to the lady afterwards after, you know, they were done interviewing the people they'd put on the list and she's like, Oh, that's great. And one of the guys I'd gone to San Francisco state with, um, David Gottlieb, who actually worked on seven doors, Mind train with us, he had started out of engineering in the show programming department. Yeah. And, you know, uh, he was enjoying anime and the audio figures. And, you know, next thing I know, I was called in for a, uh, it was called a three-day test. And basically what happened is I went to our Tahunga facility, uh, which was the production facility for, uh, you know, Imagineering. And there was what was called the training lab. And in the training lab, there was a A100 figure and, you know, it had no skin. Uh, it was basically just the, the robotic innards and, um, and there was an animation console and this big giant refrigerator thing with blinky lights on it, which was okay. the control cabinet for the figure. And you were given a CD, a programming CD called Pieces of Eight. And there was eight different tracks. They were each like 10 or 15 seconds long. And uh, it was perk audio. So it was like the ship captain from Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. uh Chief Joseph from the American Adventure, like just different bits of dialogue. The Wicked Witch from the Great Movie Ride, um, and you know you had to pick a piece of uh, you know dialogue. And I picked the Wicked Witch of the West uh, because I think they just released The Wizard of Oz in the theater uh, mm-hmm. for like the seventy fifth anniversary and my wife and I had just seen it at uh, you know, the, the Chinese theater. So I was kind of into it again. And, you know, Margaret Hamilton's performance is just amazing. So I, I just, you know, got in there and I'm sitting there in front of this thing, like totally, like, you know, like, what am I going to do? I've never animated on a console. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like an etch-a-sketch you've got these knobs on it. Right. And, you know, but it's like, it's the same fundamentals. It's like, you do your thumbnail sketches, you figure out what your poses are, right? Yeah. And then you start doing the an in-betweens. And the great thing about that animation console is it was developed by, you know, and animators like Wayne Rogers, Bill Justice, guys who worked with Walt. And, and, you know, they not only invented what we know of as character animation, but they invented this whole new medium, which was audio Sure. So, you know, like there's buttons on the console, it's like mid in between, right? I mean, it's, it's like, and it's all it was all based in 2D animation, um, which was really interesting to me. So, um, I did my 10 seconds. They liked it. And, uh, in January of 1999, they said, uh, you can start coming in two days a week and, uh, you know, start learning how to animate figures. So I did, so I was still at CalArts. I did not finish my, my, my final, you know, film that year. I, you know, cause I was enjoying doing the I'm sure yeah. the yeah. electronic stuff so much that they're like, "Well, do you want to come in more?" I'm like, "Sure, can I come in 3 days a week?" So oh, yeah. so I you know, I graduated and uh went right into uh, production on uh, Sinbad for uh,
0: Tokyo Disney Sea. Wow, that's fantastic. Let let me ask you this question. Uh, You you get in as an intern, and it's supposed to be for six weeks or whatever, and it turns into 20 plus years, 22 years or something like that. But at what point did somebody come to you and say, hey, uh, can you do some character design work? because you weren't just animating the AA figures. You were also doing character design, storyboarding, you've art directed, you've done, you've worn a lot of different hats.
1: And I think that's the, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what has, you know, if you want to stay at an organization like Imagineering for a long time, you have to be able to wear different hats. Right. Um, you know, you know, when I was brought in for that internship, like we had Tokyo Disney sea going on, you had California adventure and, you know, if you've read the history books, you know, golden dreams, which is eventually, you know, that was a film that was eventually supposed to be like the American adventure with this huge cast of audio electronic figures. So they needed a lot of figure animators. Yeah. And, um, so they were recruiting and, um, you know, the, the golden dreams, you know, became the film and, uh, but there's still, we had over 150, uh, figures for, um, Sinbad for Tokyo Disney sea. And, you know, that was such a, you know, great time, but, you know, calling it an internship because it's like there's the official WDI internship program. This really wasn't that it was Mm -hmm. basically the, you know, my manager at, uh, at Tohunga who was in charge of the show programming department. She needed people. She needed people to animate figures. And, You don't come in off the street knowing how to animate a figure. It takes about a year to get up to speed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh,
1: you know, what it was, was it was more of training. It's like I would, I never made copies. I would, I would basically come in and I would sit down and I would basically just animate different pieces of dialogue on different types of figures. So the A1 figure, the A100 figure. Uh, my favorite thing that I animated at that time was the hippie crane from America Sings. So uh, he was, you know, if you remember that attraction, America Sings, uh, there was the Joy to the World number and, you know, total hippie bird designed by Mark Davis. And I was like, this is so funny. Um, because I was going back and forth to WDI and not spending so much time at Cal Arts. I would miss things. We didn't have email really. You know, if if someone was going to come do a lecture it was just like printed up on a dot matrix and like, you know, taped on a wall and, Oh, so-and-so is going to be doing a lecture. Now I'd had, you know, we'd had Andreas, we'd had Glenn, we'd had, you know, all these, you know, fantastic animators, you know, come in and give us lectures, but we hadn't had many of the nine old men. Right. And of course, Mark Davis is my idol. And I swear to God, I, you know, I came up to for a night class after working at Imagineering, and I, I'm going over to the library, which is like right across from, you know, character animation, um, you know, A113, right? And yeah. uh, there's this giant line. And I'm like, what is this line for? And I look, and at the end, there's Mark Davis and Alice Davis, and I missed the lecture. And I was just like,
0: no, my hero.
1: <laughs> and you know, I had like, and I had to get to my class, and I was just like, and there's no way I was going to get in the line. You know, Martha Baxley had already shut off the line, so I was just like, okay, well, maybe next time. So I go to, you know, I go to my class. Pretty sad. The next day I go to WDI and I'm talking to uh, one of the senior animators who was training me. And I told her what happened. And she's like, Oh, Ethan, don't, don't worry. We're going to have Mark and Alice over for lunch next week. It's not on one of your normal days you come in, but would you like to come in?
2: Like, <laughs> like
1: yes, please. So uh, yeah, I'm going to skip
2: was... that day. I'm just going to skip. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I totally played hooky that day. And it was, that was amazing. Because, you know, we, yeah, at Tahunga there was, uh, we had half a circle vision. So,
0: yeah, I I remember that. Yeah.
1: So we were in the circle vision room, right? And, Mark and there was like maybe eight of us in a room with Mark and Alice. And there was, we had a slide. Mark had a slide projector and he's taking us through the slide and it was everything he'd just shown at the Cal arts thing. And it was like all these concepts for attractions that he, you know, did not get to realize like Western river expedition gods. I mean, all the stuff that's in Chris Merritt's great book. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just so cool. And, you know, I was animating the hippie crane at the time and because I'm me. After I had him sign my book, he's like, so what are you doing? And like, oh, I'm I'm learning how to animate the animatronic figures. And I told him I was animating the hippie crane from America Sings. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I'd love to see it. So Mark and Alice actually came over to the training lab and I got to run the hippie crane for Mark Davis. And he gave me some great notes. And it's like, that was, that was, that was amazing. That's That's
0: awesome. awesome. Hey, uh, you mentioned uh, AA, the audio animatronic figures, uh, the A1, the A100. for our listeners, would you tell them what the difference is? I, I know that obviously there there's different grades of audio animatronics that can do, you know, some of them can do more complex uh, movements than others. Some are the newer versions are very smooth and more lifelike, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The A1 figure is close
1: to, uh, what, uh, like the, uh, Lincoln, the original Lincoln figure was for the 1964 World's Fair. So, mm-hmm. you know, all, all Bob Ger design pieces, right? And, yeah. um, and that, I mean, that is primarily what was in attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean. And in 1989, they introduced a new figure called the A100. And that was done in uh, cooperation with a company called Sarcos, And they created uh, Disney and Sarcos. They created this uh, thing called compliance which was a, it's it's a filtering basically so it smooths out the data um you know because before i started everything was just done on the knobs so you were just turning these knobs you were doing your poses and you were turning these knobs but you could never see the data When I started, I was one of the first people to use a graph, a graph editor, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we call it the graphical editor, but it's a graph editor, like what you have in Maya. So you can see your animation curves. Um, I, you know, when they did uh, Haunted Mansion, like if you watch the Disneyland Showtime, uh, Disney presents, Walt Disney presents, you'll see Bill Justice and he's sitting there like cutting out like the scallop disc, right? On the record. That's how he got his animation curves. Right. So there's been lots of different ways that they animated figures, but the console became the the main way. I think there is now the A1000, which is all electric, um, so completely electric. So Hondo uh, in Smuggler's Run and uh, I think the Kylo Ren figures, those are all A1000s. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so they're just now, you know, Disney developed those audio animatronic figures from scratch. Now they're partnering with outside third-party companies to, uh, to, to do more complex versions of the AA figures. Am I right on that? Um, I think it depends. I mean, uh, you know, we, like
1: all, all the dwarfs that we built, uh, those were all built in
0: house. Yeah, those are those I remember being built in house. But those were those were also simpler uh, uh, figures, uh, as far as I'm concerned. The only complexity was that we added the uh, 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 the uh, pico projectors in the heads to uh, uh, project the animated facial movements of those dwarves, which uh, to me is still like a wonderful. I have wonderful. Memories of working with you guys on that that whole project, and yeah. and us uh, you know bashing together uh, the R and D test using uh, a Wendy doll or a Wendy figure that was uh, sitting around at Imagineering, and and Jerry rigging the Pico projector into the head, and using actually Rapunzel, we, we took some Rapunzel facial animation uh, and projected it into the Wendy face uh, rear projection <laughs> on the Wendy face to do a proof of concept no it Mm -hmm. was like you you kind of just bash this stuff together to say can can we do this and and i remember ethan you were there when when we showed it to the executives and and everybody looked at it like oh my gosh this is something else this is taking it to the next level sweet
1: yeah yeah i mean and that's the thing it's like you guys i mean i think uh, Tom duke and shreta carter was like they were heading up a lot of that stuff on peter pan initially mm-hmm. and i remember we looked at it for uh, seven doors mind train initially and we're like oh it's it's not quite there And i'd worked on buzz Lightyear, and you know i'd worked on to the snake for the pre-show for magic lamp theater in tokyo and you know, there was this thing that would happen where they just looked like they were glowing right you, you have this glowing face and we really wanted to get away from that so you know, it was really partnering with uh, Todd Matthias, who's you know one of our great figure finishers at Imagineering and uh, some of our plastics guys, some of our special effects guys. it was you know we getting the black light, getting that balance, right because yeah, everything had to glow, right? If the face is glowing, then you're giving away the illusion. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, just doing that light dusting of, you know, black light airbrush paint on the hand and making it, you know, match. I mean, that's what I think differentiates what we did on seven doors mind train from what we did on like Buzz Lightyear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, to me it was, uh, uh, you know, what was so great about working on those types of projects is, is working with all of the different talent, uh, that comes together. You know the the people making the the audio animatronic figures. Uh, you know the lighting artist. Uh, you know the lighting designer. Uh, right. The set designers. Everybody. You know it was just this. Like I, I always felt like it was such a great team effort uh, that goes into these projects, and and, and everybody is, is is sort of striving. Uh, to to do their utmost best uh, in their particular field of expertise, and all of that just coalesces into something that everybody goes, wow! You know, yeah, it, it,
1: exactly. I mean, uh, you know, Joe Lancicero, uh was you know my mentor for years at Imagineering, and uh, you know, Joe also a CalArshian, um, yeah, Walt Disney Animation Studios for years, um, and you know, he he like. He used this, you know, like this, he had this one thing and he used the, um, you know, the sum of all parts, like doesn't, you know, it, it takes the team effort, right? And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, you can't do it by yourself, right no. especially, especially in and you know sometimes you'll see like the videos and stuff and it's like oh it's so and so and they're taking all the credit and like no they're not taking all the credit they just had the 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 camera shoved in their face that afternoon
0: yeah <laughs> right it, it, exactly and that's usually how it worked anyway you know but but you know it, it's so true though it, 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 you know to do anything like the dwarf mine coaster uh, the, the dwarf mine train uh attraction uh is a massive team Effort undertaking, and oh, yeah. you can't pin it to any one person. No. I mean, certainly the show designer is getting a lot of credit, but then you know you've got structural engineers, you've got landscape designers, you got all of those people that are you know putting their talents into creating that uh, that environment, that immersive environment for the attraction.
1: Well, you know, one of my favorite um, <clears throat> stories, you know, about. You know how much everybody puts in into our attractions um and, and it could be a vendor um when we worked on mystic manor we had a knight and his we called him trader sam knight because he had you know two heads uh, two of your heads for you know the little nod to the jungle cruise i threw in there <clears throat> but uh we had this so i you know we had cha- I, I sketched some chain mail right and I was just like, oh, this will look cool. So I did my rough and then I, you know, tightened it up for sculpting and all that stuff. And, you know, it was uh, this fade that figure was actually produced at this wonderful company in um, Hong Kong called Art Tech. And they've got uh, factories in uh, Guangzhou in China, And, um, so I would go out there to review stuff as it was being sculpted, as it was coming together. So we would, we'd come to the end of this one figure and, uh, we were starting to wrap up production there and I'm there in the factory in Guangzhou and, um, you know, we're taking photos. We're all so happy. Everything's looking great. And this, uh, the owner of the company, Art tech, he comes up and he's like, Ethan, um, you know, so-and-so would like to, you know, get a photo with you next to this night. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And, you know, it's like, never met this lady before in my life. And like, okay, take my picture. It's all good. Smile, you know, say thank you. And then I think it was like the next day, we were back in Hong Kong. I'm having lunch with uh, the, the owner of the company. And he's like, thank you so much for taking that picture. Like, wh- why? Yeah, it's like, she seemed really excited about it. Like, Ethan, she spent eight months hand doing that chainmail
2: oh, and you're wow.
1: just and that was like oh my gosh it's like i spent so much Yeah, I, I threw down some lines on a piece of paper right this lady spent 8 months that's dedication she'd work way harder than i did Right,
0: wow, yeah and it's no,
1: like no. those are the stories that you know really need to be told and celebrated right sure, it's sure. like people put uh, people all around the globe put their heart and soul into these attractions
0: oh so absolutely and and most people on the surface don't realize what has gone into some of these things and how much time it's taken you right. know uh, uh, to get it to a place where the public can view it. Right. or or ride it or whatever you know and and that, that that's really amazing hey i i want to ask you how did uh how did the duffy the bear come about uh because you're you're the guy that designed duffy the bear which has become like a phenomenon in not only japan and asian countries but it's really a global phenomenon yeah it's so
1: duffy's a huge phenomenon i cannot take credit for duffy I can take credit for Gelatoni and Stella Lou and all of the friends, <laughs> but Duffy existed, you know, before I did. So, I mean, our, our listeners can't hear, but this was one of the first prototypes of the Disney bear. So he had this little hang tag that had a story and it was about Tinkerbell. And he, I think he debuted at the once upon a time, uh, once upon a toy toy shop at, uh, you know, Disney Springs, which is now, which at the time was called Downtown Disney. Right, right you know this one who's very chocolate colored right um and just not-
0: for just for our listeners you're holding up what looks like a teddy bear but right. the 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 face mask of the bear is the mickey ears so you you you've got the muzzle is white and then there's the two round white areas around the pupils of the bear's eyes so when you look at it straight on you've got that mickey head buried on that uh Bearhead, and by yeah. and
2: by the way, I just I just have to thank you, Ethan, because we have so many Duffy's at the house. Uh, <laughs> Kristen, my wife, is obsessed, and uh, we actually have the first run of the Disney Bear when it made its debut at, at Downtown Disney, and we did the whole Duffy event. I think you were there when the new Duffy's were being put in. I think were you not there when they um, they did the new Duffy thing over there at the Odyssey? When uh, they uh, they they debuted now? some new stuff, I thought maybe you were there, but yeah, they no. had this big uh, uh, pass holder event with Duffy, and they had uh. all this new Duffy merch that they were just launching. Like, here's the new Duffy line and everything, and we got invited and we literally went home with like a million Duffy's. <laughs> you know, wow.
1: that, that's cool. But anyway, yeah, I think we love it's Duffy. Because- yeah. The guy who designed Duffy or not Duffy, the Disney bear was a, a artist, uh, Cody Reynolds. Nice. So he gets the credit for designing the, the uh, Disney bear. Yeah. When, what happened is the, you know, I think park merchandise wanted to bring it to Tokyo. And I think, uh, Joe Lancisro was in charge of Tokyo Disneyland resort creatively at the time. And, uh, the story wasn't really you know, hitting with the market there. So Joe and Scott Hennessy, a great writer, he actually wrote Kitchen Cabaret, if you remember that show. Mm-hmm, um, the two of them, they came up with the story of Duffy. So Duffy, I like to give it to three people, right? It's like, that was Cody Reynolds designing the Disney wow. bear. And then you've got uh, Joe and Scott uh, for coming up with the story that we all know and love and yeah. like building that Duffy universe. I love it. Um, so, yeah, so what happened, and then uh, Shelly May came about, I was, you know, deep into, you know, working on Mystic Manor, and Joe uh, had, they they designed uh, Shelly May, which is uh, the... The girl, right? The yes. Girl, bear. bear. Uh-huh. They're not. They're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Very clear about that. <laughs>
0: they're just friends. They're just, just friends. friends. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then what happened is, uh, I actually was. Uh, I was two days off the plane from uh, Hong Kong, finishing up Mystic, and you know, I've got all my little plushies here. So Albert the monkey, I designed Albert, and um, you know, that was. Probably of all the attractions I worked on, Mystic Manor was the most enjoyable project I ever worked on. Um, so t- about two days after getting off the plane from Hong Kong, totally jet lagged, you know, we worked around the clock to get it open. Um, and I think I was still working with you, Dave, on Seven Course Mine Train. So I was like balancing so many planes yeah. at the time. Um, I went to. Uh, we had uh, Oriental Land Company was in town, and we did like, I want to say like a week, we had a week of all day meetings and we just brainstormed what's going to, what's next. What's, what's the roadmap for Duffy. And uh, that's when we came up with Gelatoni and Stella Lou. Uh, Gelatoni was based on my son who had been taking some art classes, uh, you know, here in Santa Clarita. And, um, you know, he was four years old. All the Duffy friends are about four to five years old. And, uh, you know, so uh Charlie Watanabe, who's a writer, uh, one of my good friends and, you know, Scott Hennessy, uh, who worked the Duffy story. We all came up with that. Um, and the a whole team, uh, different designers, some designers from OLC, and then Stella Lou. So we designed both of those characters and, you know, we designed them and then they went into production and, you know, Stella, you know, so that was 2013. Stella Lou didn't get released until 2017. Right. So
0: that's typical, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lengthy process. A lot of people don't realize uh, when they're launching stuff, you know, the, the, a lot of, a lot of there's a long runway before it actually hits the public.
1: Right. And like uh, cookie Ann, she was released. Uh, She started as a dog named pancakes. And uh, it was, you know, before I went to that first brainstorm, I asked my son who was in kindergarten at the time. I'm like, all right. What kind of, what kind of friend do you think uh, Duffy should have? He's like, Oh, it should be a dog. Cause he loved dogs right at the time. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and like, what would what, 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 he do? And he's like, Oh, he's a chef. And, uh, I'm like, well, what kind of things he's he like to make? <laughs> oh, he likes to make pancakes. Cause my kid loved pancakes at the time. Uh-huh. So for a while there, Cookie Ann was named pancakes the dog and was a boy, but you know, over time it, you know, transformed into Cookie Ann. And, um, but again, that was like seven years until it was released. Sounds um, like
2: sounds like he needs to be on the payroll.
1: What? <laughs> it sounds like your son
2: needs to be on the payroll. I
0: know.
1: Yeah. Concept. I know, we all concept
2: <laughs> concepting. is perfect.
0: Yeah, but it, it, it is amazing though that it's uh it, it's such a phenomenon and it started out as just being Mickey's uh little stuffed bear, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, I I think in, you know, parts of the world, um, you know, where Duffy Duffy outsell Duffy and friends outsell Mickey and friends.
0: Yes, absolutely. Especially in Japan. Right. They are like Duffy crazy over there yeah, oh, yeah so. they've got
2: duffy keychains just hanging everywhere i mean i love i, I love it but that's the whole was it the kiki kawaii culture or whatever they have over there it's just like it's so cute and yeah uh, how can you not how can you not have a bunch of Duffy's like we do at our house <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: i want to I, I want to move us along because we we are on a tight schedule this week, uh, just just because of all that's going on. But but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the uh, uh, the Beauty and the Beast uh, Enchanted Tales of Beauty and the Beast uh, down at that, that was for uh, Orlando for the expanded Fantasyland uh, down at the Magic Kingdom in Orlando. Yeah so
1: the one the, the, yeah,
0: I, yeah it's so funny cuz that again
1: things take a long time you know like um, i had actually we had done i think it's 2001 marty scholar had given us some money to develop a uh, new anima- new animation right and we were pushing towards electric right so we had to do so we were given some research and development money and we had to come up with some ideas And we did ultimately do, uh, we did a play test. It was at uh, California Adventure, and it was uh, Miko and Pocahontas. And uh, the, the ask at the time was, you know, you go to Disneyland, you see Pocahontas, the, you know, actress, right? Looks great. And then you have Miko. And Miko on his own is the you know the walkaround character. He looks great, but you put him next to Pocahontas, he's a giant, right? He's way too big. Yeah. How
0: how do you get
1: them scaled down? So let's do it with animation. Right. So we actually had this really cute show and it was, we go in a basket of corn and he would like pop up. And, um, I don't even know if there's any videos of it on YouTube, but we, we play tested for like a week down at California adventure. Um, but one of the other cons, so that was the concept that won, but I had pitched a thing called Bell's enchanted cottage mm-hmm. and it was mrs potts and chip on a cart and you know all this really fun stuff and you know there was a lumiere animatronic figure there was a wardrobe animatronic figure and you know marty loved it it was really cool and you know we did the miko thing and uh i think it was a couple of, you know 2011 um there was a play test at imagineering and it was uh to talk about this, uh, you know, the, the, the princess meeting, you know, the, it was really originally just going to be the, the, the meet and greet aspect where you went in and you had the little cutouts of the characters and they told that story. And, you know, I did it. My kids were there. My wife was there. And then we went uh did a questionnaire thing afterwards. And, you know, I said, yeah, this is great, but you know, I've got, I've got two boys. The boys are going to like the ancillary characters. They're going to like the, the, um, you know, the Lumiere's and the Cogsworth's and those characters. Um, and I said, Hey, you know, check out this, uh, you know, concept I did a I it to Marty and, you know, we looked at it and, you know, I, I did, and then, you know, like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And, you know, I think I was over at R and D at the time working on the Lincoln attraction, um, yeah. you know, the, the, new expressive face, which was electric first time we did that had done an electric face. And I just remember doing some like uh, Lumiere sketches and then, you know, just, I did the concept sketch and then it went off and became its own thing. And Ted Robledo was the creative director on that and turned out great. And then Ted was actually uh, uh, the overall creative director for the Fantasyland expansion that we just opened at Tokyo Disneyland. And he was the uh, creative director on the Beauty and the Beast attraction.
0: That's great. I mean that that to me uh, was a big hit down in Orlando when it first opened, right? Because they they had a restaurant attached to it and all kinds of stuff. Oh, absolutely! I mean that 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 Fantasyland expansion was
1: um, you know it was done so well. Um, you know, Mind Train, the Beauty and the Beast attraction, uh, just the place making, um, and, and I think that is. You know something that you know. We're having you know started my career out on Tokyo Disney Sea. You know, everything at Tokyo Disney Sea is of this certain level,
0: right? Oh, I, I mean, I I often tell people it's the crown jewel in the Disney park system. I mean, Tokyo Disney Seas is over the top in detail. It, it's just jaw dropping when you walk around that park. I mean, yeah. it really is because they're even the littlest thing is. Amazing. Exactly. Because, because it's so detailed. Yeah. And, you know, it's like,
1: you know, going back to, you know, Imagineers you never hear of, um, like Monica uh, Gerber, um, she was our color stylist for Mystic Manor. She was also uh art color stylist for Mini Style Studio. And but you know, she worked on Tokyo Disney Sea, and she did all the artificial fi- finishes. So like mm-hmm. if you've ever been to the caldera, if you've ever been into the 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 Nemo restaurant there, it's like all that stuff. It's like I'll sit there, like if I'm mm-hmm. on a business trip, I'll sit there, I'll have dinner and I'll just sit there and eat and just like look at the finishes. And I and I know Monica did that. And Monica, it's like I worked with her on Monsters in Tokyo. It's like she's the I mean, she's like the Mary Blair of our time. She's like like so great with color. And like, like I remember she had this puffy jacket she had bought in Tokyo and she was looking for this right texture and she took this jacket she just bought and she dipped it in the paint and then she starts using it as like a stamp on the wall and, I'm, and, and just made it magic. And just like, I, that's what I love about Imagineering. I mean, I, whenever I go back to Cal arts and do lectures, it's like, Imagineering is like grown-up Cal arts, right? Yeah. Cause it's, you know, Cal arts is all these different disciplines and at Imagineering, all these different disciplines, they get to, come together and just do amazing things. And you've got people from theater, you've got people from animation, you've got people from, you know, all these different disciplines, audio. Right. I
0: mean, Yeah. You know, I, I was actually in a meeting once over at Imagineering and before the meeting actually started, there was, you know, most of the people were there and we were all kind of bantering and chatting and whatnot. And somebody mentioned Cal arts. And I just, I just asked out loud, I said, how many people here went to Cal arts? You know, and it was like 80% of the hands went up, uh, which was really amazing to me. You know, all from different years, obviously, and things like that. But um, I, I have to say about the Tokyo Disney Seas. When you, when you walk through that tunnel and you come into the, uh, the, the caldera uh, and you see the full-size Nemo anchored there in the lagoon, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's breathtaking. It really is. It just I, I, No matter how many times I walk through into that area, I always go, wow, this is unbelievable. This is so great. Yeah, no, I, I
1: completely agree with you. And it, it is that walking like, you know, from Mermaid Lagoon, especially to me, it's like walking from Mermaid Lagoon into the caldera because it's like it's tight. And then you just it just opens up and it's that whole vista. And because it's a caldera, you've got the perfect berm. You're not seeing anything Absolutely. outside yeah, of that berm. Yeah.
0: Really it's a- total immersion. Yeah. It's something else. Do you have a, uh, a, a favorite, uh, um, uh, attraction? I I know this is always difficult because I get hit with the question, what's your favorite film? It, and it's so hard because there, there, there's so many great memories from everything you work on, but is there anything that bubbles up for you that just goes, wow, that was just an unbelievable experience?
1: Yeah. Mystic Manor, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. it's, and, and, and uh, the, I think because so many people i would worked with over the years, like Robert Coltrane, who was just made Disney legend last year. Right. Robert had done, you know, monsters, both monsters for, you know, the one for Tokyo, the one for, uh, um, California adventure. I mean, so many things we need a poo. I mean, the guy was like the hit maker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, so he came up with the original concept for Mystic. Joe Lance Cicero was the overall creative guy on that entire project. Yeah. Um, we had Jerry Reese, right? Yeah, Jerry. I, yeah, we got to get Jerry Reese
0: on this show at some point.
1: He's fantastic. And it's like, so he was our media director. Um, and again, we have Danny Elfman, right? And <laughs> you know, going back to that whole Cal Arts thing, it's like I remember Danny Elfman coming in. Uh, I was like animating Albert in the pre-show. And, uh, you know, Danny's like super excited to see me working. And he's like asking me questions. And I'm like, You're Danny Elfman. This is amazing. And he was like, So down to earth. And we got to chat. And he's like, Yeah, I attended Cal Arts.
0: Yeah, you know, I I gotta say he's he's an incredible guy. I had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with him uh, when I was uh, writing the Nightmare Before Christmas book, which hopefully will eventually come out someplace, somewhere, sometime. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I know. <laughs> it's, uh, so am I. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, incredible guy. And, uh, and and again, it's so wonderful to be able to work with so many different talents uh, on these types of projects.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just such a fun attraction. And, you know, we, we, we hit road bumps, you know, along the way we, we did, you know, uh, value engineering at times, but, you know, we were smart about it. It's like, oh, we have to get rid of this. But instead of doing that, we're going to do this. We Mm. came from every, everything that we tackled. We came to it from a story standpoint. Right. How are we sure the story is being told the the best way it can be told?
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, again, uh, that's the thing that people really need to realize is that whatever you're doing, it starts with the story, you know, whether you're doing an animated short, an animated feature, a theme park attraction, whether you're developing a product like Duffy the bear, there is a story. What is that story that you're trying to tell? And what's the backstory to it all, you know?
1: Exactly. And, you know, Mystic has a great backstory. You know, it's part of the you know Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Um, and oh, yeah. You guys have seen recently in the media that, uh, you know, the Jungle Cruise is getting updated. In fact, that was one of the last things I worked on um, was uh, oh. helping develop that. Uh, nice. in brainstorms and Blue Sky and stuff like that's changed a ton. Um, I'm sure, but I don't know. I'm not there right now. Um, but you know,
0: that, that, that brings up a good point though. I mean, you, you've left Imagineering and, uh, and sort of like, what, what is, what, you know, what's your view on it? Because I, you know, there was such a, a, a group of incredibly talented people who all left over the last year, including Joe Rody, which was a bit of a surprise
1: yeah i mean i was i was working with yeah i was i was doing zoom meetings with joe from my kitchen on stuff right yeah beginning of this whole pandemic you know i think the pandemic has you know thrown everyone's life uh and plans uh out the window right yeah sure um i don't think any of us uh planned on you know any of this happening um i don't uh I'm glad I'm not in management, right? Uh I wouldn't have wanted to make the decisions that were made, I feel for those guys. Um, and um, you know, I think I think the company's gonna come back. It's it's gonna come back stronger. I mean, I was just on LinkedIn, you know, last night and a guy who'd been at Walt Disney World for a long time, he'd been furloughed, he'd been laid off, he got a call back. You know, I'm not I'm not, you know, saying I'm gonna get a call back. It'd be lovely. I love it. It's like yeah. you know, part of, you know. I've worked there for 22 years. Um, but you know, I'm I'm freelancing some places. I just finished the Unreal Fellowship, uh, which is it's through Epic Games, and I learned um Unreal Engine, which is what they use on Mandalorian and sure. things like that. So that was, I mean, that was, it was like boot camp. It was like, you know, 8 a.m. be on the Zoom thing. And it's like we yeah, had great instructors from you know around the globe. Um but yeah, I mean, L- Rhodey has retired, but Rody's,
0: you know, he's a, you know, what Virgin uh, Galactic. I was going to say Rody didn't retire. I mean, he may have no, retired from Imagineering. Retired from but I kind of view it as he left Disney and he started with Virgin Galactic. Yeah, it's like you know? I don't think I don't think retirement's in there. Yeah, re- retirement's not in there uh, in that whole uh situation there. But uh no, it, it, it's interesting because uh, as we all know, Imagineering has gone Through its peaks and valleys. And, you know, they had a major, major layoff after Tokyo Disneyland opened. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the same, I think, after Epcot. Uh, So, so, you know, the, the, uh, the, the size of the, the crew at Imagineering this, uh, you know, ebbs and flows depending on what they're going to be building. And, and, you know, I, I know they're going to be building more parks, uh, more experiences and, and things will get back to some kind of normalcy.
1: Absolutely. I think that's the thing. I think people, you know, being, stuck inside for a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They are going to want to, you know, go out to theme parks and, you know, before the pandemic, you know, I felt like we were having problems finding enough people to do the work that we wanted to get done.
0: Yes, and and you know something. I think the interesting thing that you just said is that people are going to be wanting to get out. Al, John, and I at the beginning of the show talked about the fact that um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong uh, had a blowout uh, weekend, a box office, the biggest uh, weekend box office uh, since the pandemic began. Uh, it's, it did almost $50 million in, in the United States and that, and, 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 you know, close to 300 million worldwide. So that shows you the pent up demand of people wanting to get out. This is the tip of the iceberg, my friend. It's going to be a unbelievable summer because there's going to be a lot of disappointment from people who didn't book things early or, uh, are going to be, you know, complaining about waiting in lines for, you know, two hours to get on pirates of the Caribbean or something at any of the parks.
1: Yeah. I mean, people want to go do things. People want to have experiences. Um, yeah. and you know, like you, you think of like Disneyland before it's like, you know, I had a silver pass for, you know, ever, I know, we were always blocked out because the park was just so crowded, right? So there is, there was demand before and, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. I mean, people are going to want it. People are going to want new themed experiences and, um, you know, there's, you know, Universal. I mean, it's like, I'm so looking forward to the Mario, uh, you know, land opening here at Universal Hollywood. I mean, all the stuff that we've seen out of Japan looks great. Um, Even if we get half of what they did in Tokyo or in uh, Osaka. I mean, it would just be amazing to have that in our backyard.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is, this has really just been a great conversation, Ethan. And I have to say uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, you know, we can't, and I say this to every one of our guests, we can't possibly talk about all you've done in your career inside of an hour. It just—it's impossible. So I'm hoping that we have you back on the show, uh, maybe next year, uh, and catch up and see what you've been working on at that point. Al, John. uh, Yeah, I'd be remiss. Questions?
2: I I do. I I'd be remiss if I didn't say. By the way, a mutual (laughs) friend of ours, Stephen Stanton, says hello. Uh, You know, and and we love we love it because obviously, you know, uh, Lord Mystic. I mean. He's the voice. So you got to you got to say what's up. And uh, Stephen is a great friend. So uh, he says hello. Um, But I want to know how you feel about the fact that they're going to be making uh, it's apparently a Society of Explorers and Adventurers um, movie. Um, I don't know if you guys have kind of heard about that. I'm sure you have. It's no secret, but
1: uh. yeah, so I think it was like it was reported in Variety or yeah, something like yeah. that. I read that, and I think it's very exciting. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's like you know, you, you develop these things, and um, you know, lots of people have developed stuff for the SEA over time. You know, uh, Joe Ancestry, Chuck Baloo, Chuck Baloo designed. Uh, you know, Harrison Hightower for, um, you know, Tokyo Disney sea, which that story, all that artwork he did is, it's just amazing. I mean, the fact that those characters are going to live on and someone else is going to tell that story is great. I mean, um, I'm looking forward to it, and if they want to, you know, bring me in as a consultant to talk about how Albert might, you know, react in a situation, I'm available.
0: I, you know, something I do think it's fantastic though, because you know, just uh, the uh, Society of Explorers and Adventurers uh, to me uh, that that's a that's a universe you know guys i i mean there there's you you can create so many characters and so many offshoot stories uh from that uh that you you've got an, an incredible franchise uh that they could do some some really sort of indiana jones ish type of uh movies uh national the, yeah national treasure so, style I, I, yeah Yeah, National Treasure Style. I mean, I'm looking forward to whatever they come up with on that. That's going to be fantastic. Well, Ethan Reed, uh, thank you so much, Imagineer Ethan Reed, for being on our show, the Skull Rock Podcast. And we look forward to having you back in the future. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Skull Rock Podcast.
2: Now for some real user power. Your weekly immersion into all things Disney. What a great interview, Dave! Ethan had a lot of really cool things to say, and uh, and it was it was great to have another Imagineer on the show.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I always enjoyed working with Ethan. Uh, We, we, you know, as I mentioned, we worked on several projects together and uh, you know, just a terrific guy uh, and still has a lot of years ahead of him in this business. Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to be working on in the future. Uh, Yeah. Well, I have to say, this is, this is again, another show down uh, and I'm going to be on the road next week, Al John.
2: Oh my gosh. You're going to have the, uh, the, the boss mobile studio. In, in I full am. Effect. I'm
0: going to be, I'm going to have the mobile skull rock podcast studio, Sweet. uh, in New York. Uh, and I'll be, I'll be joining you, uh, uh, from, from New York. And you know what? We're going to be interviewing, uh, Dean Yeagle. He's an animator, a studio owner. He's one of the pillars of the New York animation scene. And so we're going to dive into the New York animation scene, which is always fun to do uh, because it's very eclectic.
2: I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing all the great stuff and stories uh, with you and Dean next week on the show. But uh, anyway, gang, if you love Disney like I know you are, you you listen to this entire show. You got to love it. Uh, We'd ask for you to not only subscribe to the show, but also give us a like and a subscribe and give us those five star reviews if you think we've earned it. Also, uh, those reviews certainly help no matter what podcast platform or you listen to us on Apple, uh, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, you know, uh, Anchor, the list goes on and on. But uh, we would certainly appreciate it. And if you share it, too, we'll also give you a big gold star. Uh, on social media um, also be sure to follow us on all the social medias as well uh, skullrockpodcast.com we'll be updating that website over over the next uh, couple weeks which will be great so it's finally going to get up to speed now that we have all these shows under our belt uh, Kristen's going to let me have the keys and I'll be able to <laughs> I'll be able to update it and it's going to be great uh, you can also drop an email if you would if you've got questions for Dave or myself um, feel free to shoot it over at, at Podcast dot com or AlJohn at Podcast dot com. Any other words uh, before we close the show, Dave?
0: Hey, uh, all I have to say, uh, Al John, is uh, peace and love to everybody. Yes. Uh, let's go out there and have a great week. Uh, help people out. Uh, be positive and uh, enjoy
2: uh, spring unfolding across the nation. All right. Sounds like a plan. We'll see you next week. Take care.
3: I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth. Well over 100 times, so they've got that knowledge at their hand, as well as it saves them time and money.
2: Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney?
3: They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan.
2: I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast.
3: Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more.
2: That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sourcer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.